Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Perspectives. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. We're going to talk today about the connection between your gut and the brain. More specifically, um, do microbiomes in our gut influence brain health? Well, joining me today is Dr., um, or I should say Professor, um, Barbara Bendlin. She's from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, Welcome. Hi, Debra. So glad to hear you, uh, have you here and really so glad to talk about this topic because it's one that I think about a lot as more research comes out about how the health of our gut is so important to overall brain health. So why don't we just start there? Because I know research, you know, there's a lot of research that still has to happen, but what do we know about the connection right today um, between the gut and the brain? So, um, so first of all, just for any, any people tuning in, um, may or may not be familiar with what the gut microbiome is, um, but just to kind of orient everybody, um, microbes are everywhere in our environment. They include bacteria, fungi, viruses, and they are in and on our bodies. And the majority of the ones that are um, that are in our body are in our gut. And we're learning more and more about how they're really important for health, for a number of different health conditions. Um, they play a critical role in our health. And um, more recently, we're also learning that, um, that they're tied to the brain. Um, so for example, a, a neurotransmitter called serotonin, um, some people call that, you know, the happy neurotransmitter um, that makes us feel happy. The majority of serotonin is actually produced in the gut. Um, we, there's there's, there's a, a long nerve called the vagus nerve that connects the gut and the brain. Um, so there's a lot of signaling that happens between the brain and the gut. And the area of research that we're working on right now is looking at the link between the gut and neurodegenerative diseases and specifically Alzheimer's disease. So can these microbiomes actually um, literally cross the brain blood barrier and get into our brains? Or is that too literal of an assumption? Some people actually are studying that exact thing. Um, so some people have looked at the brain at autopsy and um, checked to see are there microbes that get into the brain. And um, some studies suggest that, that that's possible. Um, other people have critiqued these studies and said, well, maybe they didn't really look at the brain in perfect sanitary conditions and the microbes were introduced, you know, after death at autopsy. Um, so there's a bit of a, a, you know, a divide in terms of what people think about that. Um, the, the way that microbes perhaps signal to the brain is by producing metabolites, so small molecules that are produced, and then those could signal with the brain. So I'm actually interested in, I mean, before we talk about the link to Alzheimer's or the potential link, um, serotonin, we, you say it's produced in the gut, right? But we do have it. We, I mean, isn't it necessary? Serotonin, serotonin is a necessary um, part of our brains. I mean, doesn't, is, don't we need for, for, we need a certain amount of serotonin for, for brain health? Yeah. So it, you know, it's, 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 it's a neurotransmitter that's, um, it's signaling in the brain, um, but it's produced in the gut. 
you know, so that's that's kind of remarkable. And that's that's one of the things that we've done for a long time is sort of to look at the brain as its own organ, as its own compartment, and perhaps not thinking or studying it in the way that we know it interacts with the rest of the body. And um, so this, you know, this idea that the brain is its own thing that's not interacting with the rest of the body, we can't do that anymore. We have to think about the brain in the context of the rest of the body. So when we're talking about neurodegeneration, um, we can talk about it in, in many contexts, um, you know, fuel for our brain. We know that glucose typically fuels our brain, um, maintaining good brain health. Um, what, what link possibly could there be in terms of the microbiomes we produce in our gut and um, maybe the trigger for neurodegeneration? So I have to tell you, this is all a very, very new field in terms of looking at gut microbiome and um, neurodegenerative diseases. I would say that when I became interested in the topic about five years ago, um, if to talk about the gut microbiome in the context of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease would be considered pretty fringy. And actually some people are still fairly skeptical and it's good, we need to be skeptical because the studies just aren't there yet. Um, but there are more and more investigators who are, who are getting interested in this idea. And maybe one of the first uh, neurodegenerative diseases to be studied in this context is Parkinson's disease. And there is actually a theory that Parkinson's disease, which we know to be a brain disease, could potentially start um, in the gut. Um, and that's because some of the abnormal protein accumulations that you see in Parkinson's can also be found in the gut. And it's thought that maybe it spreads from the gut to the brain. And that's just one theory. Um, but you know, I have to tell you that the whole field is still in its infancy. I, I, you know, I often wondered that because you hear it more and more. Why is it taking science so long to take our gut and look at the connection between like gut health and overall health, um, even that of the brain? I think it's because, um, you know, to really do this kind of work, uh, you need to really have a, a collaborative field. And scientists can have a tendency to become siloed and kind of look at one area of research. Um, but to do this kind of work, you really need to be cross-disciplinary. Um, so myself, I have to tell you, I'm not I'm not a gut microbiome expert, um, but I, I work with other people who are who are doing very um, careful work on gut microbiome and looking at the links to to health factors, and that's really how I got into this work was by collaborating with an investigator in bacteriology. Um, his name is Federico Ray. He's done these really interesting studies looking at how um, gut microbiome can contribute to type 2 diabetes and um, obesity. And, and he published this really interesting study a few years back, specifically on obesity, where they looked at um, mice that they kept germ-free. So these are mice that have never been exposed to any germs. So you can control what kind of, what kind of microbes get introduced to them and see what happens to their health. So what they did in this study, they were, they were interested in obesity, so they actually got fecal samples from people who were either obese 
or not obese. And the other interesting thing about this story is that they were twins. So they had a, a normal weight twin and, a, and, a, and an obese twin. And what they did is because the microbes are in the stool, they gave the stool to the mice who were germ-free. And if you give a germ-free mouse um, a fecal sample from somebody who's normal weight, the mouse doesn't gain weight. But if you give them a stool sample from a human who is obese, the mouse then will also gain weight. So there's something about those microbes that are so clearly affecting um, the outcomes in these animals. So we started talking about doing something similar in Alzheimer's disease. So why would two, why would a set of twins have different microbes? So is that because what we eat, like literally we are what we eat, like what, what we eat and how we process food is a determinant of really our gut health? Is, is that fair to say? Well, there's a lot of things that determine our gut health, you know, and one of those things is the environment that we're in. So, so presumably when these twins were children, they probably had very similar gut microbiomes, but then things happen over the lifespan that can impact your gut. Um, it could be diet. Um, it could be antibiotic use. It could be um, exposure to other things in the environment. Who you live with later in life your gut actually starts to look more similar to the person than you're, that you're living with um, than to your sibling. So there's all kinds of things that can happen over your lifespan that'll change what your microbial composition looks like. So do we know, uh, okay, now I, I was saying this to you earlier, you know, I was at the farmer's market this weekend and I, you know, went up to the stall and was promised this magic drink to have like 50 gazillion, you know, good bacteria that was going to cure my gut of anything terrible in it. Is it worth, as us, not a neuro, we're not, not neuroscientists, nor are we gut doctors, but from a neuroscientific perspective, do we know enough to know that we could actually introduce good bacteria into our guts to actually improve the overall health? Such a great question, and it's one that a lot of people want answered. Um, diet does have an impact on the composition of your gut. Um, supplements or, you know, microbial drink or yogurt, um, the number of microorganisms and whatever you're consuming is kind of small compared to the, the amount of microbes you have in your gut. So I would say, you know, you're introducing a small amount and some people call that just kind of like a drop in the bucket. It probably doesn't have a huge impact. Um, but, you know, that said, that is sort of where the field is going, right? Like if we think the microbe, is, the mi microbiome is impacting health, then we have to think about ways to potentially alter it, right? Um, one thing that, that people are studying is actually fecal microbiota transplant, which would be a more radical change of the gut. Um, so for example, in certain, um, in certain diseases, you might see an alteration of the composition of the gut. A good example is um, the, the infection C. difficile, where you really see um, this um, microbe kind of taking over the gut and reducing the diversity and, and overpowering the gut. And the typical treatment for that is antibiotics. But clinically, um, 
fecal microbiota transplant can actually be used clinically to treat an antibiotic res resistant C. difficile infection. Is that literally when you're taking poop pills, like other, you know, pills made of other people's poops or something that have the different, and you, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so there's different ways that you can do a transplant. Um, you could do it through a colonoscopy or a nasogastric tube. Um, but there are also companies that produce a stool capsule, um, and then that could serve as a, as a stool transplant um, to, to change the diversity of the gut. And so I said that it's been used clinically in C. difficile, um, but there's a lot of studies that are testing this in a number of other conditions, including neurological conditions. And, and we here in Wisconsin actually ran a feasibility study to see if this could be used in Alzheimer's disease. And, and by the way, I should tell everybody tuning in right now, this is not something that we recommend sort of a do it yourself <laughs> um, because there could be a, a lot of other things in stool that you don't want to introduce. Um, so we used a product that was sourced and was screened. Um, and actually, you know, the COVID pandemic has also changed all kinds of things about FMT as well. So you were actually taking these poop pills, so to, for, for lack of a better word, um, and you were administering them to people who had already been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or were high risk for Alzheimer's? Um, so actually, we, we, the study was a feasibility study. Um, and the idea was because we had found in a, a prior study that individuals with Alzheimer's dementia have reduced diversity that potentially increasing diversity diversity could have an impact on the brain. So wait, sorry, I'm just going to stop you there. So sure, sure, sure. increased diversity, meaning more bacteria, different types of bacteria. What do you mean exactly by that? Yeah, more different, more different kinds of of microbes and, and bacteria specifically. So if you think of, you know, a healthy ecosystem, there's lots of different kinds of plants and animals as opposed to monoculture where you just have, you know, one kind of plant that doesn't tend to be a healthy ecosystem. And, and the same is likely true in the human gut. Um, so after we found, we had compared um, participants who had Alzheimer's dementia to people without Alzheimer's dementia. We found that there was differences in the composition of the gut, um, but also that individuals with Alzheimer's disease had less different kinds of microbes. So we ran a feasibility study to see if um, a stool transplant could potentially increase diversity. Now, the idea here is not that you would treat Alzheimer's disease with stool capsules. Um, the idea is more, could you change the diversity of the gut and then see if that impacts the brain and then figure out why that is. So why is, you know, how do we, how do we get a handle on how the gut is is linked to the brain and then could that be the, the target of new therapies so we're um i i find this all incredibly fascinating um i i'm just wondering when you were looking at the people with um dementia versus the non uh you know people who, who didn't have dementia could it be that our guts change just because we're getting older or was the study including younger people as well like maybe the early onset folks yeah, that's a really, really great question. Um, so, you know, it could be the case that um, as you get older, or even as you develop a disease, right, that the, the gut could change as a result of the disease. And so what we did in our study was we also included individuals who were middle-aged and, and older, but who did not have dementia. 
And then we uh, used some techniques to figure out um, what their brains look like. So in, in our lab, we use brain imaging, but we also look at cerebral spinal fluid because it surrounds the brain and you can look at proteins related to Alzheimer's disease in this fluid. So what we did was using this fluid, we could tell, does somebody have some one of those pathological proteins related to Alzheimer's disease? And we actually found that um, certain gut bacteria were related to the amount of pathology that we saw in the brain, even in people who were um, asymptomatic. So the idea here being that maybe there's a link even at the very earliest disease stages um, before somebody uh, develops dementia. That is so fascinating. Um, we have a question that's come in saying, is there any link between the gut microbiome and beta amyloid? We know, you know the first hallmark, the presumed first hallmark of, of Alzheimer's is the beta amyloid plaque that um, can be found in our brain decades before we see a symptom. So any link there? Yeah, it's such a great question. So the answer is, is yes. And um, the reason why I'd say it's yes is because there have been studies done in mice. Uh, again, these mice that are kept germ-free, but in this case, they were Alzheimer's mice, so they overproduce um, amyloid. And what happens is if you keep an, a mouse that overproduces amyloid, if you keep them germ-free, they make less amyloid plaques. So their brains don't have as many amyloid plaques. If you put them in standard housing, you know, with all kinds of microbes, then those um, then those same mice will um, have more amyloid plaque. So that's a very kind of crude but um, clear link between um, microbes and this and the amyloid plaque formation. Um, in our study, it was more correlative. So we were looking in in human participants. Um, yes, we did find that was there was relationships between um, gut bacteria and um, amyloid in the brain. That's so interesting. Um, we, we have another question coming in, and this is one that we all wanna know. Um, what foods should I now, uh, should I eat now to avoid having a low diversity and avoid dementia, Alzheimer's? I'm 58, my mom has dementia, and I'm terrified I'll get it too. Yes, um, so to this person as, uh, asking this question, First of all, um, you know, we are, our research really revolves around people like you. Um, we have a, a study in Wisconsin that is adult children of individuals with Alzheimer's disease who are participating in the studies and um, really making the discoveries around Alzheimer's disease possible. And I would say that there is not um, one diet that's prescribed for avoiding dementia. And in fact, you know, we don't really know what causes Alzheimer's disease, which it seems crazy to have to say that when we've been studying it for so long. Um, but we don't know what what causes Alzheimer's disease. So what we you know, what we recommend to people is that um, if you are interested is to, you know, build your resilience as much as possible. So perhaps you could potentially stave off Alzheimer's disease for longer. We don't think any of these things necessarily prevents Alzheimer's disease. Um, but having, you know, being uh, physically active does seem to be associated with lower uh, risk of dementia. Um, keeping vascular risk factors in check um, in midlife particularly uh, seems to be associated with lower risk of dementia. 
And then with regard to diet and the gut microbiome specifically, I mean, very simply put, eating a greater diversity of foods and particularly plant-based foods seems to be associated with a greater diversity of the gut and fiber um, rich foods. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the obvious, right? It comes up whenever we do interviews about brain health, it's always the, you know, exercise is- Exercise, diet, and sleep for that matter too. Yeah. Um, and, and sleep is, is a big one. Um, and, and as people get older, they actually struggle with sleep. Um, but there does seem to be some, some links between, uh, and this is getting a little off topic of gut microbiome, but there does seem to be a link between sleep disturbance and um, amyloid plaques as well. What we we had a follow up question from the amyloid um, plaque, but um, someone's asking what the theory behind why there's a link between the uh, gut microbiome uh, biome and beta amyloid. Like, why is it? Why you know? How do the two and two even fit together? Yes, also such a great question and one that we don't yet know the answer to. Um, one, one idea is, is called the infectious hypothesis of Alzheimer's disease. And that idea um, kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is that potentially microbes or microbial products could get in the brain um, and then amyloid would come in as an antimicrobial peptide. And, and some people have studied this and there seems to be a little bit of evidence for it, which is that if you, for example, take an animal and you put microbes in its brain, um, that amyloid could come in to almost protect the brain by surrounding that microbe. So that's, um, that's kind of the infectious hypothesis, but we don't have good evidence yet that microbes really get into the brain. There needs to be more study there. There's so much confusion um, over like the role of amyloid and, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Does it reach a tipping point? You know, it's just, it's, I, there, there's so much science approaching it from different angles, but we truly don't have the answers yet. We don't have the answers yet, but I am, you know, I actually am very hopeful because there's a lot of people working on this problem. And so I do, I think it will be solved. Barbara, how long will it be? I mean, you said obviously COVID has impacted your capacity for research, especially in really, because I mean, the study you're running, we're not asking people to stick things in their veins and, you know, sit in with an IV. It's more, you know, you're going to take this um, supplement. I don't know. Is it, is it, is it a suppository or do you take a pill? Like, what is it? Yeah. So, um, so a lot of our research studies are still ongoing um, with regard to the fecal microbiota transplant study, the stool transplant study, that one has ended. And that is because, um, the virus that causes uh, COVID is actually present in stool samples. So you can screen stool samples for that virus, um, but we could not rule out 100% that, that the virus may not be present if, if donor samples were collected recently. So when we started this study, it was pre-COVID. So all of the donor samples that we had, all the people who had donated stool for the study were free of COVID. Um, but now we don't know for sure that new stool transplant um, capsules would be free of COVID. So that's that's due to the pandemic and that specific issue. We actually have stopped that study. So pre-pandemic, how many people were you testing this on? 
So we had just started the clinical trial. We had enrolled a small number of participants and then the pandemic hit. Right. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. And, and, you know, things like this, you want money to go towards, right? Because this is actually not a hard solution if it turns out to be, um, it, you know, improve our brain health and therefore prevent Alzheimer's um, disease. It's, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. How far away do you think we are um, from getting, I mean, because as we said in the beginning, the research is quite nascent, right? And how much, how, how much more, I mean, we must, we need to know a lot more, right? Before we can make any. We do, we do need to know a lot more um, about, you know, Alzheimer's more generally. Um, we need to come up with, um, with a way to treat Alzheimer's disease as quickly as possible. With regard to the, the microbial um, work that's been going on, there has been um, an increased interest um, the National Institutes of Health are putting money towards this. Um, the um, Infectious Disease Society of America has. There's also, you know, there's smaller private foundations that have been funding this kind of work. So I think that it's actually, be, it's sort of coming out of the fringe and, and becoming more common for people to, to look at this. And overall, I would say in the field of Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias, there, the doors have really been open. So people are coming at this from all possible angles and that's what we really need um, to beat this disease. Well, um, we wish you all the luck with this research. We certainly hope it does continue. I think there's a lot you know, of really interesting things going on. And the more we think about the connection between the gut and the brain, there, it seems like the more information is, is coming um, up. So please keep us posted um, with all of your research. Um, is, there, is there anywhere on the University of Wisconsin side or anything where people could get more information? Do you have, do you guys have a page up or anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would encourage people to look up the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center um, or Wisconsin ADRC. And um, you, we have a Facebook page um, you can follow. Um, you, there's information about a podcast that's done by our Alzheimer's Center. Um, so there's, there's plenty of information. Um, you can also go to the National Institutes on Health, um, actually the National Institute on Aging specifically, and they have a lot of um, materials um, on Alzheimer's disease, on aging, on brain health, um, and so I would suggest those sites. To so um, I have to ask this one question because it's a really good one that's just come in and we missed it, which is how can I have my gut microbiome evaluated? Is it just as easy as giving a stool sample to your doctor and say evaluate it? Or do doctors even know how to do that these days? Yeah, I would say that probably um, the best way to do it would be through a citizen science project, such as the American Gut Project is probably your best bet. Um, I think that costs about $99, $100 to, to have it done, but you can um, send your stool sample and um, they'll send you results back. Um, and, and there might be other citizen science projects like that as well. Um, and then just take that information with a little bit of caution. Uh, we don't know yet what is sort of a good or bad microbiome. Yeah, it's still a lot more research. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for um, joining us. It's fascinating research. I'm, I'm so kind of intrigued by all of this information. And please keep us posted on, you know, your future discoveries. Um, our audience is very interested, obviously. So 
Please. Right. Thank you for having me. All right. No problem. So if you want, um, obviously, if you've missed some of this interview or you want to watch it again, we always upload these to beingpatient.com. Um, please um, sign up for our, our newsletters because that's where we'll keep you abreast of what's coming up um, with these talks. Thanks so much for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time.